0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are in our second week of meeting together online, and I've got to tell you, it's it's getting a little bit more familiar, but we still miss you all greatly. We wish we could be together, and we long for that day when we can come back together. But you know, just this past week I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and in Chapter 3, there is that line that there is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And guess what? We're in that time to refrain from embracing, as strange as it sounds. But as Mitchell said just a few minutes ago, even though we are social distancing, we are not spiritually distant from one another. And of course, we know that God is not spiritually distant from us. And I want to say just for a moment before I begin my sermon, how how happy I am, how proud I am of our team, of our covenant partners, of our staff, of our community. We are really pulling together even in this time when we have to stay apart. And so thank you. Thank you for being an inspiration to this community. Thank you for being an inspiration to me. And thank you for making your lives a pleasing offering to the Lord our God. We are just enjoying His grace, even in the midst of this difficulty. And we are leaning on Him every day. Now, just before the world shut down for this COVID-19 crisis, I had the blessing of joining some of our high school kids and our youth staff and Reverend Mitchell Moore and my wife on a trip to Big Bend National Park. This is one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been. I, I didn't even know, even after coming to Texas for over 30 years, that this place existed. And on the second day of our trip, we made the 11-mile hike up to Emory Peak and back. When we got to the very top of the trail, some thousand feet above the canyon floor, the view just took my breath, uh, just took my breath away. What surprised me, though... As I looked around, as I saw these great vistas, as I looked over the rocks, as I scrambled over the boulders, what kind of shocked me, what kind of surprised me was the number of people who were walking around videoing themselves and taking selfies. I remember one young girl, not with our group, parents, don't worry, one young girl sitting on the edge of a rock with a thousand foot drop behind her taking a selfie. I mean, there she was, surrounded by the beauty of God's creation, and she turned the camera on herself. And then I saw another young man literally walking toward the edge of a cliff narrating a video that he was taking about himself. And I thought, if nobody stops this kid, he's going to walk over the edge and he's going to plummet to the bottom of the canyon. I remember thinking, why are these people... Staring at themselves when they could be looking up at all of this beauty. I mean, there they were, taking pictures of themselves. And not just one, but lots of them. So what I thought about was this question. That keeping that camera turned on yourself is not only vain, it's dangerous. I mean, here on one level is all of God's creation in both its beauty and its danger. It makes you miss out on the beautiful sights, these lifetime gifts of God, but it can also be dangerous because if you're not paying attention to where you're walking, you might walk off a cliff. As I started to think about it more and more, I noticed that there was a button that I often took for granted on the screen of my own smartphone. There's this little button on the screen that changes the camera from selfie mode to that outward mode. So here's my question for today. Do we more often keep the camera turned on ourselves in selfie mode, or do we turn the camera outward? That's a really important issue right now because vanity and crisis are very similar in this sense. They make us keep the camera turned on ourselves. And whether it's in vanity or in crisis, it's all about me. In Isaiah chapter 58, God is calling us to turn that camera around, to focus on Him and to focus on others. So, last week, we talked about God's peace in restoration, and Reverend Mitchell Moore talked about the importance of being plugged into the Lord's Word and, and His grace as our power supply for peace during a crisis like this. And I love what he said, that the distance between panic and peace is the distance between you and the Lord. This week, we're gonna be talking about God's call to serve in this time of ruin and restoration. So this morning, we're gonna be talking about all of Isaiah chapter 58, but I'll, I'll be reading Verses 6 through 12 of Isaiah chapter 58. So at home, if you could, take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 58, and I'm going to begin reading in the sixth verse. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? if you pour out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall rise up, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. God's providence is uncanny. Just several weeks ago, we began the season of Lent, which is a season of fasting. This passage... Is a passage about the spiritual practice of fasting during a time of exile, ruin, and restoration. So here is Isaiah talking about the discipline of fasting during a time of crisis, and here we are reading it while observing Lent in the middle of a global pandemic. You know, maybe, just maybe, the Lord is trying to get our attention. In the sixth century BC, the people of God were in crisis. Jerusalem had been destroyed, and the people were living as captives in faraway Babylon. But then God sent His prophet Isaiah with a word of comfort. He said, God has not abandoned you. He will save you, and He will bring you home. This will not last forever. So Isaiah's prophecy is first of all a word of comfort. But Isaiah's prophecy was not just a word of comfort. It was also a word of challenge. The Lord was challenging the people to be better in the crisis and to be better after the crisis than they were before the crisis. God wanted to make sure that they did not just go back to business as usual and fall into the same broken habits and routines that broke them in the first place. He wanted them to turn the camera around from themselves to the Lord to one another and to their neighbors. So first, the Lord identified a problem, then He gave them a prescription, and then He made them a promise. First, the problem. The problem, says the Lord, is that your religion has become superficial and self-centered. Take the example of fasting. Fasting is supposed to be an act of self-denial in which a person or a group voluntarily abstains from all food or certain types of food or any other regularly enjoyed good gift of God. The point of fasting is to let go of the distractions of the body so that your mind and spirit are clear. The purpose is to distinguish our needs from our wants and at least to distinguish the things we really do need from the things that we really don't need. So fasting is an exercise, or it's an experiment, that's supposed to remind us that our souls need God's grace like our bodies need food and water, that our spirits need His Spirit like we need air. You know, so often we take the bare necessities of life for granted until they're taken away. You don't realize how precious food is until you're hungry. You don't realize how precious water is until you're thirsty. You don't realize how precious other people are until you've been quarantined for a week. And you're really starting to miss the people you love. Fasting is designed to remind us not to take God's grace and love for granted. In true fasting, we deny our needs and our wants to make us focus on and feel our need for God. Fasting sets us free by reminding us that there's nothing on earth that can bind us when we are sustained by the grace and power of God. But it's also an exercise in empathy to help us understand in our hearts and feel in our bodies the needs of others. For example, by not having food, we begin to understand what it means to live in poverty without the basics of life. Fasting is about clearing away stuff so that we can turn our attention to God and to one another and to our neighbors. That's what it's supposed to be. But here's the problem it's clear that in Isaiah's day, the practice of fasting was distorted. Instead of using it as a way to make room in their lives for God, they were using it as a way to indulge and draw attention to themselves. It was all about the selfie. Look at me. Look how pious I am. Look how holy I am. Look how much endurance I have. Look at me and my holiness. You know, the fasting problem was only a symptom of the deeper spiritual issue. God was saying, you have made all of your religion all about you, about your own salvation, about your own peace, about your own comfort. For centuries, the people thought that they were spiritually healthy because they fasted, because they said the right prayers, they used the right words, they sang the right songs, they performed the right sacrifices, held the right festivals, and went to the right meetings. But at the same time, they were making it all about them, They were consumers of religion. It wasn't about serving. It was about being served. They took God for granted. They were perverting His gifts and ignoring His holiness, worshiping the idols of the culture, and compromising His law. But at the same time, they were also neglecting the needs of the poor, and taking advantage of the weak. And the Lord was saying, your religion is worthless if you talk the talk but don't walk the walk. That's the problem. Here's the prescription. You have to turn your attention to God, to one another, and to your neighbors. You have to turn the selfie camera around. The Lord was saying, what I'm interested in seeing you do is this, sharing your food with the hungry inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, and being available to your own families. I want to see you turn your attention from yourself to God, to one another and to your neighbors. I want to see you fasting in a way that helps you to really understand, not just in your head, but in your heart and in your body, how much you need God. And I want you to fast in a way that makes you aware of the needs of the poor and the weak and the widow and the orphans and the outsider and the sick. I want you to feel it, not just in your head and not just in your heart, but in your gut. I don't want superficial pity. I want it to bother you until you do something about it. Turn the camera around. That's the prescription. And here's the promise that goes with it. God's promise is that when you focus on Him, when we focus on Him, and we start serving our neighbors and one another, He says you will make a difference and you will be restored by your restoration of others. Listen to what the Lord promises. When you serve, verse 8, then, your, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. The truth will give people confidence and hope. It will be like a beacon that will get people's attention and draw people to Christ. And your healing shall spring up speedily. He's saying, expect miracles. You shall heal and people will be healed through you and people will know that this is the work of the Lord. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. When people see you putting your life on the line, And they see God's power and love backing you up. They will trust you. And they will glorify Him. Verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. You will see prayer answered over and over again. And you will see how God is using you to be His answer to someone else's prayer. Verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually. He will show you the way. He will open the doors. He will connect the dots. He will present the opportunities and give you the resources to meet them. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Even though we will work harder than we have ever worked, And we will be stretched beyond anything we could imagine. He will refresh us and give us joy in the work. He will make it all worth it and he will amaze and impress us until our hearts are filled and his mission is fulfilled. Verse 12 Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. The parts of our spirit and ministry that have crumbled and atrophied will be restored and strengthened. And the church will grow because people will be drawn to it. It will be stronger than ever before, but it won't be a superficial or nominal strength, but a strength that comes from real spiritual depth. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. People will know that the Lord has done this through his church, and he will gain glory. They will see us building bridges, bridging races and neighborhoods and economic levels and ages and ethnicities and social groups and neighborhoods and clubs and churches and political factions. They will see us bringing people together, connecting different people and groups that could never work together before. Now these are some powerful promises. The good news of God's grace is that you and I will be renewed By our service to others. You'll have influence. You'll give people hope. You will bring healing. You will bring restoration. And you will be restored yourselves. Yes, Isaiah is a prophet of comfort, but he's also a prophet of challenge. And I believe that the Lord is challenging us in this crisis. And I believe that God is trying to get our attention through this crisis. You know, it's profound to me that this crisis has converged with the season of Lent because I believe that God is giving His people a real fast because God wants us to take the camera off of selfie mode, strip away superficial religion, and take us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, with one another, and with our city. I think that God wants to break the wheel of business as usual, and the Lord is using this health crisis to get our attention about two other crises in our country. Because this passage identifies two crises. The first is an economic crisis. And by that, I'm not just talking about the situation in the stock market right now, although that is real. This passage is talking about the economic crisis suffered every day by people who live in or on the edge of poverty. This is not just about the national economy crisis. This is a people crisis. And it's about housing and employment and healthcare and childcare and education and addiction and mental health. Remember that San Antonio is the city ranked number one in disparity between wealth and poverty in our whole nation. This is a crisis of indifference. That Isaiah calls wickedness. Notice that in this chapter, whenever Isaiah describes wickedness, he describes it in economic terms. This is about the way that we live and the way that we allow others to live. God is using this crisis to get our attention about the economic crisis in our country. Not just the one created by the collapse of the stock market, but the one that exists every day in our indifference to poverty. Our current crisis is going to quickly expose just how many people are living on the edge. The elderly, the sick, the poor, children of all communities, families, the hourly workers who have no margin or cushion or resources or strength to withstand this economy. Those who are mentally ill, who are alone, those who are isolated and those who are spiritually unprepared and lost and scared. I believe that God is calling us to focus our attention on the people who are most vulnerable in this crisis, not just physically to the virus, but those who will suffer most economically. How will we rise to the occasion of compassion and show the gospel to the people who never get a fever but are ruined financially financially and pushed into poverty because of it. But this is also a spiritual crisis that will expose our broken attitudes about God. In the latter part of this chapter, Isaiah says that instead of holding the Sabbath holy and using it to honor God, people use God's most precious gift of time to seek their own pleasure, to go their own ways, and to talk idly. This passage isn't just about going to church on Sunday. It's about our attitude about God. The attitude people hold about the Sabbath reflects the attitudes that we truly hold about God. The problem is that right now there are so many people who think that God isn't real or that he doesn't care if he is real. They think that if they think that he's a myth or a relic or a fairy tale and they think that if he is real he doesn't care or that it doesn't matter because he doesn't have the power to make a difference. But in this crisis, people are starting to wake up and see that this pandemic is too big for us to handle on our own. It doesn't care how rich you are, how well-positioned or how well-connected or, well or famous you are. And people are going to be looking for real hope. Not just optimism, but real Life, resurrection, empty tomb. Jesus is raised from the dead. Hope. The Lord is getting the world's attention. And people are going to need spiritual help even more than they need financial or physical help. And this is the time for us to lift up Jesus Christ so that all people will be drawn to Him. People need to know that He is real, that He loves us, that He has the power to make a difference in our lives when no one and nothing else can. This is a time for revival and the time for us to point people to the living God. The Lord promised that as we fulfill the mission for which God created and redeemed us, as we serve Him, as we serve one another and our neighbors, we will find our own lives and our own Church restored. And as we serve, we will discover that God did not place us here to save the city. Rather, He gave us the city to save us. Because service reminds us of who we are and who we were created to be. As we work, as we pray, as we sing together and serve together, He's going to rebuild us from the inside out. Isaiah was sent to comfort the people in a time of crisis, but he was also sent to challenge them. This is the time for us to ask who really are the most vulnerable people in our state, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our families, and within our church? And why are they vulnerable? Lent is a time for fasting which means that Lent is a time for us to take the camera out of selfie mode, turn it to God, and turn it toward others. So let me ask you this question. How are you loving people right now, today? How are you loving people as an employer, as a friend, as a family member, as a neighbor, as a service provider or as a landlord, you know, like you, I've heard so many stories about people helping people, helping their morale, helping them with money issues, helping them with food. How are you helping? Who are you helping? Who are you calling to check in on in our congregation or in the community? Who are you praying for by name, day by day? Are you serving other people right now? Or are you waiting to be served? May the Lord convict us to be better in this crisis and after this crisis, even than we were before this crisis. Help us to turn that camera around and see all that He's given us. Everyone He's given us to serve and all the strength that He has to pour out in our lives. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come together today, we have to remember that even in the early stages of this crisis, You are challenging us. You are challenging us not simply to be served, but to serve. Lord, convict us. Make us feel in this moment of fast the needs of others and our need for you. Help us to turn that camera around so that we are not focused on ourselves, but so that we are focused on others. And Lord, help us to find and discover the truth of your promise that by serving others, by restoring others, we ourselves will be restored. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.